I'm saying that for the purposes of of recording. Um, uh, as you can see, that that piece of paper uh, we're, we're we're launching straight into September. It's hectic. There's a lot of things happening. Uh, things seem to be taking up momentum uh, pretty quickly. And for those of you who know me, uh, uh, those of you who are, are, are close to me and can observe my life a wee bit better, you'll know that I don't like chaos. I don't like things to be too hectic. Um, but one thing that we've learned from the book of Acts is that life was hectic. It was uh, unpredictable. Uh, it was even chaotic at times. And uh, and so it was been, it's been great. It's been great for me. Uh, just on, on the journey that we've taken through the book of Acts, uh, uh, and uh, one thing that that I, I um, really took out of the book of Acts was the fact that we have decisions to make. Every time the gospel was presented or God in in a situation was presented, people had a decision to make, and. Uh, I didn't realise last week that I was going to be opening up this uh, series. I talked it with over with uh, David and and Neil, and then Neil said to me last week. But I had a lot of these uh, notes already done. Um, don't know why, but sometimes I just scribble things down. And um, and one thing that Neil said last week was that apathy brought up the point about apathy and. Uh, and so in the book of Acts, we see that apathy was not something that, w- that we read a lot about. That God had this plan that his story goes on and on. And it will not go on and on in people who, are, who uh, live a life of apathy. We are called to be the people that the story goes on. And hence Bridget's going to Stormont and uh, Colin's going to India and... And different people are going different people uh, places because Puma is going back home because God has stirred something within them, and and they have this choice to make whether they respond or they don't respond. So does that make sense, or does that does that create confusion? When I became a leader of the church, um, uh, I I found just this awesome sense of responsibility. I found this awesome sense of responsibility a couple of years ago that that. Like, uh, all of a sudden, I, I became a leader within this church. And you become responsible for the people that you lead. Then I became a dad. And uh, and then you become responsible for children. And now I've become a dad again. And I'm responsible for not alone a girl and a boy. So I'm responsible. I felt the responsibility, first of all, for this people. And now I feel responsible for the next uh, generation, and uh, somebody said once that what our our what our ceiling is, what we reach to in life, will become the floor of the next generation to come along. And so there's a responsibility on us um, as God's people. And the best thing that we can ever give people, and the best thing that I can give uh, the people around me, not alone my wife and my home. But a year as a people is exactly what that last song was, Jesus. That's the best thing that we can give people around us is Jesus. It's not stuff. It's not good ideas. It's not um, fancy words. It's, it's Jesus. It's Jesus alive. 
and Jesus changing changing lives. So you see the the backdrop our our, our series is hardness um, and fruitfulness. Um, I want to put out a disclaimer right at the start of this. I'm introducing this subject. I'm not. We're going to go go at it for probably six or so weeks, maybe eight weeks, uh, just looking at, at this this idea of hardness. Um, so I, I want to say that I'm opening it up. Uh, and that's a farming term. Um, let me tell you a wee bit about farming. I was at a uh, party last night in, down in County Cavan, and, and I got the job of, of parking cars. And uh, so I got these, uh, and my brother was running this party fundraiser thing, and, and the whole country the whole of County Cavan uh, seemed to turn up, but we needed to park them in fields. So uh, I got this crew of three or four boys, uh, young boys, to come and help me. And one was from Wicklow, one was from Enniskillen area, the other was from somewhere in County Tyrone, and the other one was from Cavan itself. And these young boys, they're 10 or 11, and they're young farming boys. And uh, and so as I'm sort of working with them, you hear the chat between them all. and And like... Take in mind, they're 10 or 11, okay? And they're talking like owl farmers. And they're once talking to the other about, oh, last year we were able to keep the cows out on the field till October. And uh, the other one's talking about, you know, and it's all this sort of uh, chat, you know, we haven't got the second cut of silage in. And, and, and they're just wee farmers. And, and, uh, and so when I say I'm opening up this term, uh, that's a farming term, okay? So a farmer has a field of corn, or he has a field of barley, barley ready, or he has a field of spuds ready to be harvested. And, uh, and so what the farmer does, he puts the machines into the field, and the first few laps around the field... Just take it that you're mowing your garden, okay, if you're, if you're just on gardening terms. But your first few laps in the field, or your first drill or two of spuds, or, or your first whatever, uh, um, they, they term that opening the field. They don't take the whole crop off the field, they're just opening it up. And so that's what I'm doing uh, here this morning, just opening up uh, this field or this topic. And the topic is hardness. And the second thing that I want to clearly say is that God is for us. God is not against us. He's not here to condemn us. He's not here to pull us apart. He's not here to trample on us. He's not here to make us feel small in any way. Psalm 103 is an amazing psalm. It talks about the Father's heart towards us. If you get time this afternoon, it's love and compassion. It's mercy. It's like just what Neil shared. He has big dreams and he has big plans for our lives. A couple of months ago, I was sitting down at the back of the church. I think it was on the sound desk. And we were worshipping. And I really got this sense... um, that God was impressing something in my heart. It happens now and again, and it was the word hardness. And what I've learned to do in those times is just to meditate a little, just think a little. Don't try and come up with an answer of what that means. What are you trying to say, Lord? But just let it reflect. And, and even today, even this morning before you, I'm still asking that question, Lord, what, does, what are you trying to say? What do you want to say? And so that's still part of the disclaimer. I only know in part what he wants to say. Um, I just felt that the Holy Spirit wanted, uh, and so I talked it over with the guys, as I said, and, and, and I felt that the Holy Spirit was highlighting that there was areas within our lives that 
seem to be holding us back from all God has for us. Areas of our lives that were holding us back from all that God has for us. And so uh, shortly after that, I went back to that good old passage in Mark. And if you want to open your Bible, it's Mark chapter 4. And it's the, the, the parable of the sower. I, don't, I, I actually like it, the parable of the soils. I don't particularly think it is the parable of the sower. It's more about what the soil produces than what the sower does. And let's read it quickly together. And again, Jesus began to teach by the lake and the crowd that um, that had got uh, uh, the the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat out on the lake. And when all the people were along the shore of the water, he began to teach them many things, and he used parables. Uh, Listen, a farmer went out to sow a seed. It's okay to talk about farmers in church. It's not, it's not uh, anything bad. Um, and, as he, and, he, and he was scattering the seeds. Some fell on the path and the birds of the air came up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quick, quickly. And because the soil was shallow, um, but when the sun came up, The plants were scorched and they withered because it had no root. Others' seed fell along thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, and so they did not bear grain. Listen to verse 8. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jenna and Puma and, and Joanne and I were out for breakfast yesterday morning and Jenna was, exp- no actually it was Judith. Judith and Neil decided to jump in too. And uh, Judith decided to, 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 to explain to us sometimes men have ears but they don't hear. I've never experienced that. Uh, and when he was alone with the twelve then he, he just started to explain what it meant. The secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. But to those on the other side, don't you two be having a row at this time. Uh, on the other, on the, um, to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving. Ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, do you uh, understand this parable? Do you understand this parable? And he says, if you don't understand this parable, how can you understand any parable? I find that, I find that a really uh, challenging thing. That we really need to understand what this parable is about. Or we not understand. So as soon as they heard it, uh, oh sorry, the farmer sows Uh, The word. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as it gets sown, they hear it. Satan comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Other, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word at once, receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because the word has no root, they quickly fall, fall away. 
Uh, Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and, and the desires for other things come and choke the word and make it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good ground, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop six, 30, 60, or 100 times what it is sown. Verse 8 and verse 20 are probably the two verses that I want to pull out here this morning. And basically they say the same thing. They say that the seed was sown and in some places it produced a crop of 30, 60 or 100 fold. And, and really and truthfully looking at this and studying this, this would be something that I would want for my life. I would want my life probably to produce a hundredfold. And as leaders of this church, with, with all sincerity of our hearts, that's what we want to see in people's lives. That, that what they do produces such a harvest. It's not a small harvest and it's not a medium-sized harvest, but it's a great harvest. And so I felt, um, I felt the Holy Spirit just pressing upon me that... that uh, What if we were only seeing 30% of what God really wants to reveal to us? What if we are only seeing? Now I know that creates some negativity in people's minds because I think this way sometimes too. Sometimes some people are thinking already, you know what, I can't do any more than I'm already doing. I'm stretched to the limit. I'm finding it hard enough to juggle what I'm doing. What if God wants us to do less and see and understand more and as a result have a greater harvest in our lives? What if that is the question here this morning? I'm going to go into farming terms. Excuse me if my accent changes. Oh, David is here. He'll make fun of me. Um, But I'm going to talk a wee bit about, about how I was brought up. I grew up on a farm and farming was everything to my parents, uh, probably still is. And so I learned from a very early age that uh, understanding and knowing your farmland is very important. We were beef farmers. So basically what we did was we grew grass, we bought cattle, and they ate the grass, and became fat, and then we sold them for slaughter. It's not very technical, um, but... Um, and so the farm that we were brought up on, my dad bought it in the mid-1950, uh, about 1954 I think it was. And, uh, and he moved to the farm then. Uh, he was about twenty. He was 26 when he bought the farm. And he moved from a place in County Cavan called Ballyconnell. Don't know whether anybody knows it. Sleeve Russell, not far from where the Sleeve Russell Hotel is. And he grew up there with his two brothers and two sisters. And the reason he moved to the farm in Monaghan, or bought the farm in Monaghan, was his two elder sisters, uh, there was not a lot of work in County Cavan, and his two elder sisters got jobs in Monaghan. They were shop stewards, that's what they were called. Shop assistants or um, shop, you know, they ran, they helped run uh, shops, grocery stores and stuff like that. And so when they got these jobs in Monaghan, uh, they had to move from Cavan 
the only means of transport back then was bicycle. So they needed to find somewhere to live in County Monaghan. And they came across some distant relatives. Hope you're all interested in this, but it's, uh, it's family stuff. And they've come across some family relatives, uh, far-out family relatives, uh, a brother and sister called Frank and Prue. And, and they owned uh, the farm that my dad bought. And they, they, they lodged with them uh, during the week. And then at the weekends, they cycled home to be at their family. Frank and Prue were elderly, never married, no family. And so they decided that they wanted to retire, buy a house in the town and sell the farm. The farm uh, uh, hadn't been cared for for many years. But my, my, my dad's sister... Uh, Emma, who my, my daughter is mar- uh, named after, Amelia was her proper name, um, uh, decided to, to push my dad to buy this farm. And so he did. He bought the farm. He, he took out a loan and uh, he bought the farm and moved from his home, t- home place to. And the farm, as I said, had been, had been ignored for many years. It got in really, really bad state. And so the early years for my dad on the farm was working with a horse uh, or two horses pulling out big shrubs that had grown across the fields and weeds, seemingly the height of the horses and, and uh, opening ditches and opening drains and just getting the land ready. During the day he worked for people, any sort of a job he could get, he just helped out and got a day's wage to pay off the loan because it was, it was very high but... Uh, uh, so he just worked hard to do that to raise the money. And once he had the land all cleared of all the weeds and the bushes and opened up the drains, he decided, uh, a couple of years had gone past to do this, he decided he was going to plough the whole thing. He was going to just open up the whole soil, uh, the whole farm. And so he did, he, he wanted to prepare the ground for good seed. Um, I'm sitting, uh, I'm talking away here and and some of you are looking at me just a wee bit strange uh, because maybe some of you have never been even on a farm before. Maybe some of you have never seen a hen laying an egg or a lamb being born or a cow being milked. Well, uh, take it from me, farmers work really hard and uh, farmers are very passionate about what they do. They're not, they're not, they're not, uh, they're not, uh, what would you say, laid back. They're passionate. They love what they do. And so they'll work night and day at it. Uh, and some of you have been bought, brought up on farms and, and you understand that. But uh, farming is one of those things where they say that, uh, the saying is, the more that you put in, normally the better result you get out. And that's the way a farmer's mind works. He's always thinking about how much he can put into this land, how he can work this land for more as we said, fruitfulness. Um, uh, so my dad soon realised that that this farm, after a couple of years, realised that this farm was very different to the farm that he had moved from. Um, the soil was richer and it was more open. It was more responsive to fertiliser. It, it, it produced uh, a good yield. It was easier to work with. And, and so, in the decision that he made, and bear in mind there was decisions that had to be made. Looking back on the decision that he made, it was a good decision to uh, buy the farm. It was hard work. 
Now, farmers are very unique. They're very closely knit. They observe things uh, and, as I said, work the land uh, very, very closely. They're all they're constantly looking at what they have. They're constantly looking at what's under their care. They're constantly looking back at what they have learned over the years, applying that. They're constantly looking forward and saying, look, this is my land. What am I, what's the next season? How am I planning towards the next season? What, uh, what are we doing next? They're, they're constantly um, uh, looking to see how they can make the most out of what they've got. How they can optimize every area of that farm. Um, about 15 years later, my dad met my mum. Well, he probably met her a lot sooner because she was a lot younger. But 15 years later, they, they got married. And uh, and so soon they had uh, Alan and I, uh, my sister first, then Alan and I. And, um, and today, my younger brother, he takes care of the farm down in Monaghan. Now, our farm was built up of many different fields. Uh, Neil used the term couple of weeks ago about being simple. Uh, farmers keep things simple. And so we had a name for every field. We had a field that was down the side of the, the farm called the side field. We had a field at the back of the farm called the back field. We had a field over beside a family that called, were called trainers. It was called Trainers Hill. We had the back hills. We had the well field. That's where our family well was. But we had one big field in the middle of the farm. The farm ran into a huge big valley and we had one, my dad had created out of a lot of small fields, he had created one big field and guess what it was called? The big field. <laughs> and the big field, it represented a third of, of, of the farm. It was a big field, it was in a beautiful valley and it really, really produced well. I would say there was a lot of neighbours who actually looked at my dad and thought, we wish we had that field. It just was in the centre of the farm and, and, as I say, it was our, our big field. Let me tell you what mornings look like. I'm conscious of time. Let me tell you what mornings look like on farm. Farmers are so passionate. You know, when we get up in the morning, we, we, we go down into the kitchen, we switch on the coffee machine, have a cup of coffee, and then get our thoughts together and then decide what we're going to have for breakfast and then we decide to go to work. Farmers are not like that. Farmers get up in the morning and the first thing that's on their mind is their animals. And so before even taking care of themselves, they're straight out to their animals. They want to feed them, make sure they've been all right over, overnight. They're, they're, they're so passionate, they're so into that. And that's the kind of environment uh, we as, as boys uh, grew up in. And so about 10 o'clock in the day, you would have all your chores done and then you would come in, sit around the table. Everybody would sit around the table and you would discuss what was going to happen the rest of the day. Maybe even the rest of the week or what the plans were. But I remember when I was about 15 or 16, we were sitting around our breakfast table and my dad announced we're going to plough up the big field. And, uh, and that, was, that was quite a, a big thing. might not be a big thing to you guys, uh, but it's a big thing. I know I was looking out at my garden this morning and it's, you know, like our garden's a bit of a, it's just tired and done. Uh, but, and, and it's small and I have no intention of ploughing it up because I just think, I couldn't be bothered with the work. But a third of the farm, my dad decided we were going to plough it up. We were going to take it out of production uh, for a set time and plough it up and start the process of reseeding 
the, the big field. And so we asked the question, why? You see, as young boys, we would watch uh, and count how many loads of silage, how many loads of grass came off that field every year. And we would go to our, our friends at school and say, this year we had so many loads per acre. What was your farm like? You know, that's what we boys do. And, and, and sort of talk like that. How many crops of silage we got off this field this year? And, and so we were up to three crops. It was unheard of. And we were up to three crops of silage a year off this big field. And, and uh, so, uh, but my dad noticed. Farmers have a great way of doing this. He noticed that there was something wrong. Something not totally wrong, but something wasn't just right about the big field. Let me tell you, let me, the second fashion's good for the soul. Last week, uh, Joanne and I, we were away for the weekend. We were up the north coast, and um, uh, we went to Causeway Coast Vineyard. And it was a baptismal service, and a lot of people were sharing stories of how God has, has came into their lives and transformed their lives and, and just changed how they see and changed how they hear and, uh, and just lots of different stories. And, and some of them are total, were totally amazing. But it came along to one story. And this is me confessing. This is me being before you. The one story was there was uh, two 11-year-old girls a couple of Saturdays ago uh, were out on the streets. And they were out speaking with people, praying with, with people. Two 11-year-olds, I'm saying. And at the end of that day, they ended up leading 29 people to the Lord. That wasn't my response. My response was, are you sure? Don't know about that. Ever had that response within you? Ever had that sort of... It's kind of called like skepticism. It's kind of inbred on us. So it is. Or skepticism. It's inbred on us. Doubt. And so quickly I had to check myself and say, here, catch yourself on. Why, why is that impossible to God? Why is that impossible that two 11-year-olds could do that? And I'll tell you what really drove it home for me, that there was something in my heart that wasn't right, was that I remembered back to the date that they told me that happened. I was with my nephew that day that that happened. He's just turned 10. And, they, and, and they're praying together. And they're going out in the streets in Armagh. And God gives them a picture. They all get, it's what you call treasure hunting. David's familiar with it. And Andrew's familiar with it. Pray and ask God to show you uh, people or situations that, that you want to pray with people. And so my nephew, they go, all go around. They have a time of prayer. And my nephew's sitting there because he, goes, he went along with my sister. And, and they said to him, without putting pressure on them, did you see anything? And he said, I just saw bananas. And he said it so sternly that he's kind of funny when he says things. And so people just had a bit of a laugh. And that afternoon he's working in somebody's garden and this lady walking down the path, the next thing a bag of bananas drops out of her groceries. He runs over and he picks them up and he says to her, he said, can I pray with you? He's 10 year old. Can I pray with you? And he ends up leading her to the Lord. And so I rejoice at him, and yet I doubt at the same time. 
And maybe for you, it's a different area. You know, when you get when you get saved first, when you're when 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 you're when you're on fire for the Lord, nothing's an obstacle. We we're talking about this yesterday. Maybe for you, it's a faith. Maybe you were once a person who took risks. You felt the nudge of the Holy Spirit leading you in a certain way, and you responded. That's what you did. But now, something's changed. You listen to what uh, theologians have come up with now is the second voice. You hear the first voice of, let's do this. It's like the Holy Spirit prompting you. But the second voice is one of doubt. Question, should I really? Is that too big of a risk? And yet, if we look back in the book of Acts, that's what it was always about. It was always about people taking risks. It was always about unpredictability. But when we get a wee bit older, we start to try and see around the corner. If I do that, what actually is going to happen? And you try and turn your eye around the corner. You see, from the outside, the big field, our big field, looked fine. It was still producing. It was uh, still green. Uh, And so the neighbours probably thought my dad was a bit crazy. One for uh, going to all this work of actually ploughing up the big field. Because ploughing is the first process of reseeding a field. And in a couple of weeks' time, I'll take you through what the other processes are. And and by the end of it, you'll all have agricultural degrees. But the second was, the second reason that they probably thought he was crazy was, why take it out of production? That field is doing well for you. Why would you do that? And as I said, my dad noticed that something wasn't right. There were certain areas of the big field that wasn't producing like it used to. The crop wasn't as sweet as it used to be. The grass wasn't as sweet. The, um, there wasn't the same fresh smell about the grass. It wasn't as lush. It wasn't producing as big a crop as it normally did. It was down a bit, but uh, it wasn't producing what it normally did. It wasn't responding to the fertilizer. Fertilizer is that stuff that you sow on grass, that good stuff creates growth it's kind of like kind of like faith you know wasn't responding to faith and and the other thing that my dad would have noticed as a farmer would be six months later that grass came in was put in silage pits the cattle were brought in in the winter time and then they were fed the silage and he noticed that the cattle weren't eating it the same they weren't doing as well on it it'd become a wee bit sour and so in farming terms, I'm teaching you, teaching you some more, more farming terms, the ground had become tired. Hardness had developed. Hardness was starting to develop underneath the surface. On the surface, it looked fine. But under the surface, something wasn't right. I liked that. I didn't know Neil was going to go into that last week. But, but, and so when I had this prepared and then I listened to Neil afterwards, I liked that. If that soil had been left to its own, just left to go on the way it was, it would have just got worse and worse and worse and worse. Apathy. You see, it would have become like it says here in verse 12. It would have become unresponsive. 
Jesus talked about people who see but never perceive. Who hear but never understand. And so when the fertilizer was sowed on that ground, it wasn't producing what it normally did. Can I jog your memory back to when you got saved? You're on fire for the Lord. You just got on with it. Your words were sweet. You were so in love with him. You were passionate about him. Something happened. We things creep in. See, it wasn't the soil's fault that it had become hard. It was external elements. It was the rain. It was the frost. It was, it was the, the weather was causing the soil to become hard and tired. And left to its own devices, that land would have went back into the state my dad got the farm in. But he knew he had to do something about it. And it was a decision, again a decision to be made. And, and I want to press that home. I really want to touch on that. Some people have big decisions to make. They're actually maybe not decisions, they're maybe just decisions. We think we can bob along, we think we can, things can just bob along as they are. A farmer doesn't live that way. You make decisions. You have to make decisions in life. Neil spoke also last week where, where Paul, in his last speech in Acts 28, he said again, he said he was speaking to people who started outright. He was speaking to those religious people Paul was. Those were people who started outright and for some reason their hearts became hard. Their lives became more about maintaining than creating. Think about that. Our lives are to create. We're called to create. We're not called to maintain. That's where the church has slipped. That's where we have slipped. We're called to the chaos. We're called to the unpredictability. We're called to the risk. We're not called to the neatness. We're not called to the tidiness. Yes, there is a verse in there that says that everything's to be done in order. I'm not taken away from that. But we're called to the risk. We're called to the unpredictability. See, I just really feel in the Holy Spirit that... that, um, You know, it's like as if these words have been spoken. These uh, things we're seeing. And they're not being allowed to take root in our lives. And, And that's because of hardness. Soil becomes tight. It becomes dry. It becomes out of balance. It becomes bitter. Uh, And what it produces starts to have a bad taste. In some ways that um, hardness uh, can manifest itself in a person's life is unbelief and doubt. A lack of hearing and a lack of seeing. Maybe you're, you're at home, the lights are switched on, but nothing's actually changing you don't see you hear all the words but you're not really hearing them they're not going in you're seeing all the things but you're not part of them there's a lack of sense of obedience and there's the end result is there's a lack of harvest for our lives I've said at the start God is for us it's not God's desire for our lives skepticism and criticism creep in your conversations are 
are, are, are peppered with those things. Let me tell you another manifestation of hardness of, of, of under the soil or in the heart. Your life becomes joyless. Joylessness becomes your friend. <laughs> That's not what we're called to. We're not called to be people of joylessness. Is joylessness a word? I hope it is. David shared with us uh, a couple of weeks ago that we're to be good gardeners of our heart. Uh, the same term is actually good farmers of our heart. Uh, and one thing, as I say over and over again, is that we have choices. Um, so my dad put us to the task of plowing the, the big field. Uh, and what he did was, like what I told you at the start, he took one of us down in the tractor and put, put on the plow onto the tractor and took one of us down to the field and uh, because we were only allowed to one at a time. The other one would have stood up at the back of the farm and looked down as the, as the other one was on the tractor. My twin and I, that's what I'm talking about. And, uh, and, and so he opened up the field. He took some big, long tracks of the plough right up that field. And he said, uh, from memory, I think I was first. We'll say I was first anyway. And he would have said it something like this. That's the line. You follow it. You just go back and forth up and down that field and just plough until I come back. And then it would have been changed over and um, uh, my brother would have done that. And so when my dad went through the process of opening up the big field, he ripped it open. He ripped open not alone the hard soil, but those areas of good soil. And so he opened it up up as well. And, and, And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about David in the Psalms. You know, David just opened his heart before the Lord. He just opened his heart before the Lord. That was, that was David's big thing. He always just opened his heart before the Lord. Lord, hear my. Hear my. Apathy wasn't going to fix this problem. It was only going to get worse, as I said. Let me try to bring this into a land. When the farmer decides to reseed a field, the first part of the process within soil is to expose the soil to the elements and so what the farmer does is he goes in he takes a plough and he rips open those concealed areas underneath the surface that are hard David talked to us a couple of weeks ago about the prophets Neil shared as well this morning and the prophets were those people who came and called to people you know what God has something more for you God has has a bigger harvest that he wants. He wants a hundredfold for your life. The problem was, uh, and as we read the prophets, was the pr- people so ignored God so much that the prophet really had to come with a very strong message. It wasn't God's first choice, probably, but they were people's hearts were so heavy, so f- so hard. They had turned their backs so much on God that the prophets really had to shout. A hard message, and so in the book of Hosea, Hosea was one of those one of those prophets, and uh, and when when he came, the people who had, had forgot who they were, and uh, and so what he did was he called the people to repentance, 
And there's the words that he used in, in calling the people to repentance in Hosea 10 verse 12. He said it's time to break up the hard ground. For it's time to seek the Lord. Now these were not people who were outside of knowing the Lord. These were people who once walked with the Lord. Whose heritage was the Lord. The Lord had given them and promised to them. And he's speaking to these people. And he said if you do, if you seek him, if you you seek him. For it's time to seek the Lord. And if you do, he will come and rain righteousness on your life. Doesn't that sound good? Does not sound really nice. God will rain righteousness on your life. Another translation is it's time to plough up the ready earth. It's time to dig in with, the God, in, in with God. And if you do, he will arrive with righteousness. With a righteous, ripe harvest over abounding. And so the first part of this process of looking at hardness in our lives is... Um, in, in the whole area of repentance, is first of all what we need to do as people is accept and be honest if there's areas of hardness within our lives. Be be honest if there's if if you see manifestations. There might be many more manifestations of hardness that I haven't mentioned here. But if there are manifestations, there's anything that would go against faith. Then there are areas of hardness. And then the second part is after acknowledging, then starting to do something about it. Apathy isn't an option in the kingdom of God. Apathy, where the big field was concerned, wasn't an option for my dad. He knew that something needed to be sorted, some drastic action needed to be taken. And so, um, as we start out this series, that's the point I want to bring to you. Areas of hardness within good soil. Not areas of hardness outside good soil. But areas of hardness within the good soil. That we would come to a place where we would not just produce 30-fold. And we would not just produce 60-fold that we would produce a hundredfold. And not that we would be more busy. Listen to me. But maybe that we would be less busy and see a greater reward and see more of what God has in store for us. The guard's going to come.